Hey everyone, this is Cameron from Renegade Animation on RenegadePopCulture.com. If you like what we do, please give us a like, a follow, and a ratings on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us. We are everywhere. Or come help support our new Patreon. That way we can keep doing what we love, and that's talking about animation and Super Mario. And now, on with the show. What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of Renegade Animation on the Renegade Pop Culture Podcast Network. My name is Mike. I'll be your host this evening. Joining me, as always, is the animation guru himself, Cameron. Howdy, howdy. And returning to the network, we've got Meredith. It's a me, Meredith. And as you probably could guess, this time we are talking about the Super Mario Brothers movie. 30 years after Nintendo became very gun-shy after the release of the live-action Mario Brothers movie, they finally decided to give Hollywood another go. And this is the result. Before we get into the movie proper, I kind of want to talk about some of the trailers that we all got in front of the movie. Meredith, I'll start with you. What are some trailers that stood out that you got before the film? Yeah, I have the luxury of seeing a lot of trailers ahead of time before seeing them in the theaters. It's always a lot of fun to watch trailers on the big screen as opposed to when you see it on YouTube or on Twitter, on the internet, you know, it just hits differently. So for me, some of my favorite trailers that I saw, obviously, was the Barbie trailer. I'm so excited for Barbie and to see the new trailer up on screen was so much fun. And also the migration trailer, which I didn't even know was a movie that is coming out from Illumination. So to get that teaser was actually kind of a surprise. So it stood out to me as I saw it, though we didn't really get a lot from it. It has me intrigued of like what the story could be. So I think those were the main ones that really stuck out the time I got to see Super Mario Brothers. Cameron and I have talked about migration a number of times on this podcast and finally getting to see footage from the movie was pretty cool, especially on the big screen. I'm a little nonplussed that it does kind of take a minute to get to the new footage because they're mm-hmm. it's almost an advertisement for Illumination as a whole. But once you actually do get to see the footage, especially once they enter that flying sequence, that looks awesome on the big screen. And I saw the movie both times in Dolby. And that is like the ultimate way to experience an animated movie like this. Cameron, what about you? Other trailers that stood out to you? Well, I saw the migration trailer the second time I went to see the film. And I was getting a little worried if we were ever going to actually see something about migration because it was just okay benjamin renner's going to make a new movie for the company awesome love that guy ernest and celestine and the big bad fox and other tales are some of my favorite animated films and his art style translates so well the duck designs look like they're from a french animated film I mean, granted, Illumination uses a French animation studio to produce its movies, and they must have taken a few notes from 
DreamWorks with how to capture the essence of flying. Because that whole takeoff sequence is great. And I definitely want to see more. And I do agree that it was a bummer that it was mostly an advertisement for Illumination. Except for the fact that Disney used to do that a lot. I was about to bring that up because one thing that the migration teaser reminded me of is I specifically noticed this on the VHS for Aladdin when they're advertising their next feature film, which would have been The Lion King. They did something very similar. They opened up the promo with like, from the studio that brought you The Little Mermaid to Beauty and the Beast to Aladdin. So this felt very reminiscent of that. Yeah, so it's hard to be really cynical about it, but I love that sequence at the end where they're all huddled under a damaged dock, and the uncle is just like, we're not getting out of here, are we? (laughs) I didn't get the new Spider-Verse trailer, but just seeing that trailer the other day, that movie looks amazing. It's going to be a lot on the big screen, but that's kind of the point. I'm so looking forward to to it and seeing the ruby gilman trailer on the big screen for the first time was also a lot of fun it just really shows how good that film's animation looks i didn't get the trolls band together trailer i was a little shocked about that we got the guardians of the galaxy trailer and the barbie trailer and of course everyone loved the barbie joke of like her taking off her high heels and her feet are just how they would be if she was a toy and such. Cinema, baby. Cinema. Yeah. <laughs> right there. <laughs> I love that little detail. You know this that movie's going to be unhinged and a riot and a half. Or at least that's what I hope it is. Like, don't just be showing all the funny, quirky moments. And then it's going to be, like, way too serious for its own good. But I don't think it will be. It's Greta Gerwig. I'm a little bit jealous that I didn't get the new Barbie trailer in either of my screenings, but the other ones that I got were I did see the new Spider-Verse trailer, which looks amazing on the big screen. I got Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem, which the second time I saw the movie, I heard some people in my row like audibly excited for uh, to see this one. And then instead of migration, I got Trolls Band Together, and it was really cool seeing the hustle sequence on the big screen. The only other like non-animated trailers I got were a quick like 30 seconds for Transformers Rise of the Beasts and the first teaser for The Little Mermaid, which I've seen now probably 50 dozen times. I got an extended look at The Little Mermaid, which I was surprised like this was the first time I heard Aquafina speak a scuttle in this trailer, so I was genuinely surprised by that. I should have brought that up earlier. It looks a lot better than I think some of the initial stuff that we have seen from The Little Mermaid, because after Avatar The Way of Water, I was really concerned this was going to be very dark, and I saw a lot more like light in the scenes underwater. I'm like, okay, maybe there's still more to see that it's going to be better than we expect. Or at least that's what I'm hoping. Blue Mermaid is one of my all-time favorite movies, so no pressure, Disney. I'm hoping it's better than what we are getting. I did find it funny that someone pointed out that the kind of crab Sebastian's going to be in this movie. 
is one that cannot swim. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, oops. <laughs> this is a very special movie to a lot of people and to Disney itself because it basically helped get them out of almost shutting down. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. We'll we'll just have to see with that one. I, I'm hoping it's good. Yeah. Seen that uh, little video online of the star of the remake meeting a fan and that little kid just hugging her. And it was just like, okay, I can take my cynicism away for a moment and find this thing adorable. So at the end of the day, moments like that are what matter more than what a couple of schmucks online think about the movie. Let's get to the main event. The not the first Super Mario movie, but the first one in like yeah, I think about 30 years. Yep. Because there's the live action one, which I don't, maybe it's just because I'm too much of a Mario snob. I don't consider that a Mario movie, and I find its reevaluation really weird. There was that one anime film that they made, which never got a U.S. release. It's just amazing that we finally have an actual U.S. made Mario movie. And not just that, but one that Shigeru Miyamoto was like heavily involved with, to the point that they use Nintendo Directs as like an actual part of the movie's marketing campaign, which mm. is kind of unheard of, at least when it comes to video game adaptations. Well, it's like Nintendo, like Disney, is very protective of their IP, which is why they don't really license it out anymore after the whole 80s and 90s cartoons were once again not very good, even though the live-action sequences are always going to be charming to a degree with Captain Lou Albano as Mario. It was just nice to finally see this, and I've had my issues with Illumination, not as hardcore as a lot of critics have, but the trailers looked good when it was they were being released, and the clips that we saw were fun. What did y'all think about it? Meredith, why don't you go ahead first? At first, I was very skeptical of the idea of a Super Mario Brothers movie, especially one done by Illumination. The first trailer that, or teaser trailer that we got, I wasn't necessarily impressed by it. However, as new trailers came out and even some of the clips that they had released, you know, the Super Mario Brothers, like plumbing commercial and stuff, I was starting to get really, oh, this is cute and charming let's see, I'm going to be a bit more optimistic about this movie. So I saw it and I was delightfully surprised by it. I thought that it was just a really fun kids movie. You know, it wasn't necessarily deep, even though I think it did tackle some really good themes as far as stuff with like expectations from family what it means to be a leader, what it means to be courageous and to keep getting up after getting beaten down. So I think that was a really good message for kids. I thought the animation was really well done. As a person who played a lot of Mario Kart growing up, I was really impressed by the different worlds, specifically the Rainbow Road scene. As somebody who has played that track so many times and has failed. They really captured like the beauty of it and also kind of the terror of Rainbow Road as a gamer, I guess. 
And I was really impressed by the voice cast. You know, it didn't really take me out of the movie too much. I will say Chris Pratt and Charlie Day wouldn't be my initial picks for Mario and Luigi, but I really do think like they sold a lot of their brotherly connection. And I do think they did a very well done job. Jack Black in particular as Bowser, I think is excellent casting. Jack Black really doesn't steer me wrong typically when he's involved in something. And I just kind of loved what they did with Bowser. I wasn't necessarily expecting. I don't know if we get into spoilers at all in this in uh, this review. All um, spoilers are fair game. Oh, okay. I really love that he was obsessed with Princess Peach. I did not see that coming to be like, I want to marry her. I'm like, whoa, brother, like this is intense. But I also thought he sold it really well. Ani Taylor Joy, I think, is phenomenal. And to see her in something a lot lighter than what she's typically in was really refreshing. Um, and I really bought into the chemistry between Mario and Peach is something that developed over time and it wasn't like an instant infatuation or anything like that so on the whole I really enjoyed it I don't think it's like the best illumination movie but I don't think it's a bad one either so maybe I'm too positive here but I just I had a good time with it you're in good company oh gossip yeah no nothing wrong with being too positive and I very stressful world right now. <laughs> As someone who's at best a casual Mario fan, I'm a little bit more of a fan of like the multiplayer games. But even with my like limited knowledge through cultural osmosis, I had a blast with this movie. It's not my favorite Illumination. That's still Sing 2. This one pretty much delivers everything that it was promised. Chris Pratt and Charlie Day are really good as the titular brothers. Their chemistry is really well-defined as early as like the first five to ten minutes. We know exactly how these two operate as like a dynamic duo. And then everyone else just absolutely delivers. Jack Black is unquestionably the biggest highlight as our main villain. Anya Taylor-Joy sounds like she's having a blast playing Princess Peach. And then you got Keegan-Michael Key playing Toad. Pretty much all around the voice cast is terrific. The animation, I think this is some of Illumination's best visual work. Not just in like, you know, the backgrounds and all of the different character designs, but even like the details, like the textures of the clothing Bowser's hair, the scales on his back, the water, the ice, the fire, all of the details they got down really well. I do have some issues with the pacing and a lot of the like the licensed music can be a little bit overplayed. On the whole, just in general, I had a great time. Enough that I saw this movie twice in theaters. So yeah. Cameron, what about you? Your general thoughts on the film? I've been a Mario fan since the 90s. So I played Super Mario World. My first console was a Nintendo 64. So we played a lot of Mario 64 and Mario Kart 64. That's just what they called their games on the N64. A lot of them had 64 at the end of the title. I played a mass majority of the Mario games, like including the spinoffs. Not all of them, but 
I was mostly a Super Smash Brothers, a Mario Kart, a Mario Party, and then a mainline Mario player, and also the Mario RPG games. And like it was it's very special to me. And when the movie was coming out, I was weary, I was nervous, and then you see the trailer for it. Like the first one where, you know, they showed a sequence of Bowser invading the penguins. And I was like, okay, here we go. It's Illumination and it's Nintendo making a movie for the first time in 30 years. Let's see how this goes. And then it was like, okay, all right, this is looking pretty promising. And now that I've seen it twice, one on opening day and then as a recording as yesterday, I very much enjoyed it. Not to say I don't have criticisms about it. I have a lot of criticisms about it. But I would argue that this is might be my favorite Illumination film. I like this way more than Sing. I like this more than the Despicable Me films. I like this a lot more than the Secret Life of Pets films. It was a Mario movie that knew it was a Mario movie. And the way it set out to accomplish that was very well done. I just had a blast. The audiences I was with loved it. There's definitely a lot of staying power with this one movie. But that's also what happens when you don't give families a movie to watch in theaters for three months. Superhero movies do not count as default family entertainment. Some of those movies can be a lot for little kids. And I'm not trying to be like, think of the children. I'm not super strict of what kids should and shouldn't watch. But there is something to be said that a lot of people think superhero movies are just default family entertainment when I don't know, did y'all see that Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania trailer and seeing Scott Lang turn into like like disintegrate into a bunch of like noodles and particles and such? I think little kids would have a very hard time sitting through something like that. But here, in general, it was weird that the first animated film that we got this year in theaters by a major studio was in April. At the very least, we would get something in March. I have no idea why it took so long for someone to put out a theatrical animated film. That wasn't like a small film release or like an anime film. Of course, you know, Netflix put out The Magician's Elephant. Uh, where would you all like to start with the discussion of the movie? Say let's start with the brothers themselves, because mm-hmm. honestly, one criticism that I want to address before we get to our own negatives is... A lot of people are going around saying this movie has no story and, you know, you're entitled to your opinion, but I think the story here is one about the importance of family, B, how their bond is pretty much unbreakable, and also, while it's not necessarily a goal of theirs, they are kind of deep down searching for a little bit of approval from their parents especially the dad played by uh, Charles Charles Marnay. Yeah, thank you. 
yeah, the original voice of Mario is in this movie. And we'll get to the casting thing. He actually shows up as two different characters. He's the father and he's that guy at the Punch-Out Pizzeria. Once oh my gosh, that's who that was. Yep. That makes it even better, honestly. And that guy at the pizzeria was literally Mario's original design from the Donkey Kong games. And if you're a Nintendo fan, you are very aware of what Punch-Out is, which was a boxing sports game that they put out for the NES, the Super Nintendo, and the Wii. And then you've probably seen Little Mac and like uh, Super Smash Brothers and such. For a movie called the Super Mario Brothers movie, I did like their chemistry at the beginning. They felt very much on brand. Because, listen, unless you are playing something like the Super Mario RPG or like Paper Mario or something, Mario doesn't have, like the franchise as a whole, does not have a lot of complex or complicated stories. It's very much just Mario's going to fight Bowser. Like, bare bones. No baggage, no emotional trauma or anything like that. It's just Mario saves the day from King Koopa or Bowser in this regards. I will say, I wish Mario and Luigi were in the movie together a little more. Mm. they were not in it a whole lot, like together on screen. They were always separated and such since they changed the saving Princess Peach from Bowser plot line, which I'm glad they didn't do, to Bowser like kidnapping Luigi and getting the superstar and such, then forcing Princess Peach to marry him, which is a constant thing throughout a lot of the mainline Super Mario games. Basically, Bowser kidnaps Peach to marry him. So that's very accurate. I don't know if people are saying, well, that's not accurate. And it's like, yes, it is. (laughs) It very much is the baseline plot to every Mario game, especially Super Mario Odyssey. The whole white tux Bowser is wearing is from Super Mario Odyssey. Oh, snap. Including the whole piranha plant bouquet. Yeah, this is what happens when you've played Super Mario for 30 years. (laughs) 30 plus years. I just wish there were more times to have with Mario and Luigi in the same place instead of just the beginning and then the third act. I can agree with that. Would you have wanted to see more more time spent in Brooklyn or just have them be together, I don't know, five, ten extra minutes while they go to the other world. Well, and that's the thing about this movie. It's 90 minutes, and it's a very crisp and straightforward 90 minutes. And I wish they... I Well, first of all, as much as Brooklyn was basically what if Nintendo made Brooklyn, by the way, the character they run into, Spike is the villain character from the Nintendo game Wrecking Crew. That's why his patch says Wrecking Crew. Oh, and snap. That was, basically, that was basically one of the original Mario spinoff titles because Mario was the main character in that game as well. Like I said, you're going to get a lot of Mario trivia out of me. I'm glad that they did not spend a whole lot of time in Brooklyn because that's something that I really do not like about the Sonic movies, that the Sonic movies do not care about 
having Sonic be in his home world. I know that Sonic has been with humans a lot and what have you, but you're only in his original world for like five minutes and then that's it. Here, they spend like 90% of the time in the Mushroom Kingdom, which that's, they should have done that anyway. That's why people are there. I wish Mario and Luigi didn't get separated until a little bit more into the movie. Or like at least arrive in the Mushroom Kingdom together, like in the same location. And then they get separated after a bit. Like Luigi gets picked off by the Shy Guys or what have you. Instead of Luigi ending up in a pseudo Luigi's Mansion kind of situation. Where he gets chased by the Dry Bones and then kidnapped by the Shy Guys to be taken to Bowser. I mean, it's just, you know, it's called the Super Mario Brothers movie. But the Super Mario Brothers are not really in the movie together. (laughs) I was going to say, yeah, I can agree with that. Especially since, like, I think they do sell their relationship. So, you know, I buy into them sticking by each other. And especially Luigi in the third act when he, like, comes in to, like, block the fire from Bowser. I thought that was really awesome. But... Yeah, it would have been really cool if they reunited a little bit sooner while still in like the Mushroom Kingdom or somewhere in the worlds that they're at versus waiting until the third act. But I also think like, I do like the idea of them being separated. And I do like Mario's like first scene in the Mushroom Kingdom by himself as he's discovering that. So I don't want to fully change that but I do wish we had more time with the two of them together and not just like at the end when they wake up and they're in the mushroom kingdom like working together I guess yeah having them spend more time in the mushroom kingdom it would have made what I already thought was like a strong brotherly bond it would have made it stronger for like probably more people who had a problem with the rhythm and the pacing of the movie because after they get separated that's when things start to move maybe a little bit too quickly and that's when we move on to toad's introduction which even after seeing it in the first trailer it works even better like in the actual context of the film the first line to come out of toad is the most unhinged thing you can make a rather bland characters say just like that don't touch that mushroom or you'll die oh (laughs) never mind this one's perfectly fine (laughs) that got a huge laugh out of both of my audiences i do like that they baked into mario's character that he doesn't like mushrooms and he's literally put in the mushroom kingdom and has to eat mushrooms and watching him like go through the process of like like getting himself hyped up to eat a mushroom I'm sure like from a kid's side I'm sure it's very relatable as an adult I do like mushrooms but I understand the oh I don't want this right now I thought that was well done and I didn't think it was like overplayed or anything I thought it was pretty cute for me that was literally the most relatable thing about Mario's character in this <laughs> I, st- I still do not like mushrooms I will eat them in some recipes but for the most part I avoid them when I can fair enough 
No, that po- well, first of all, that pasta dish looked great at the beginning. I would yes. I would eat a whole plate of that stuff. Well, multiple plates if my stomach allowed it. <laughs> I thought that made sense as like a character point. Also, was anyone else weirded out that Mario you got to see his hands without the gloves? I thought that was so weird. Not in a bad way or anything. It's just like, it's like, oh, wait, they actually can take off the gloves because usually the gloves are a part of the character. You'd never mm-hmm. see them off. It's like Mickey Mouse or, or Bugs yeah. Bunny. You, never, you almost never see them without the gloves. So it's like, oh, gosh, they have actual hands under there. No. <laughs> the movie moves at a brisk pace. Like, well, first we get that great introduction to the Bowser and his army yeah. with Kamek voiced by the always amazing Kevin Michael Richardson. By the way, kudos to this movie having a good amount of voice actors on yeah. top of the celebrity casting because I'm sure that's also because the two directors worked on Teen Titans Go and the Teen Titans Go to the movies mm-hmm. because there's Kevin Michael Richardson, there was uh, Carrie Payton as the Penguin King, and uh, Scott Minville was the Koopa Troopa who got turned into a Dry Bones asking yeah. like, like, I'm sorry, Scott Manville, but I can tell when it's you, <laughs> like, in there, because you sound like a, he was doing, like, a nasally Robin voice <laughs> for the character. Kamek was so delightful, and Kevin Michael Richardson did such a great job with the character. You can also hear Cree Summers in the beginning part of the movie, where she plays the client, or, like, yep. Mario Luigi's first client. I always love Cree Summers. She's great. So then, like, we get to the Mushroom Kingdom, and there's this, like, Easter eggs galore. There's, like, the Hammer Brothers hammer. There's the coins, the Mm power-ups. If you look closely enough, there's a Toad looking at an NES game, and he's just like, does this still work? Oh, yeah, you just got to blow on it a little. Like, if you grew up with cartridge gaming, that is, like, the number one hope of making sure your game works is if you had to blow on the cartridge and then put it back in, turn on the console, and it doesn't glitch out on you. I'm showing my age. By <laughs> I love that they threw in that reference. Yeah. And I love the pipe sequence and such, and how Mario just gets kind of tossed around a little bit by it. And then we get to Princess Peach, and she looks great. Mm-hmm. Anya Taylor-Joy. Like, at first I was like, okay, she's fine, but she has a lot more fun with the character than I was expecting. But that's also kind of like an illumination thing. They have their actors actually act instead of just playing themselves, if that makes sense. Like, they have them playing an actual character. I like that Peach was proactive. And to any knucklehead who's just like, oh no, Peach is a girl boss now, or whatever, like, my eyes were going to roll out of my head every time I saw some knucklehead talk about that. Peach has been proactive and in the front lines in like RPGs or like the Mario and and Rabbids games on the Switch where she uses a literal gun. This is not new that Peach is more active this time around. And good. That's a good thing to see. The little girl that was in my second screening would not stop gushing over Princess Peach throughout the whole movie. 
So that's a good sign. I like I thought she was good. I like that they had a little more squash and stretch animation to the CGI, especially with like Peach's facial expressions. Mm-hmm. Like I liked her. What did y'all think? Oh, I am a big fan of Princess Peach. I know she's not everyone's favorite character in the Mario world, but I think she was animated really well. I adore Anya Taylor-Joy. So when that was announced, I was like, oh, this is going to be, I'm interested in this. I just like her character story as a whole in this movie. Like, I like that she is a proactive leader, you know, that she cares about her kingdom and like that the toads really like brought her in and so she feels so much like loyalty and love for them that she wants to you know align with the Kong kingdom in order to like have their troops so she can defend them I really did buy into her chemistry with Mario and that it wasn't like this instant thing and you know she's just very supportive of like you know he kept failing and failing at that practice course but you know he still came along with her she's like but you kept getting back up and trying and like that matters and you see like the fondness kind of happen naturally in a way that like oh he's gonna get the girl in the end it's like no there's just more mutual respect there and that if they make a sequel it could lead to something but you know for the sake of this movie like all of it really worked And she worked really well for me. Well, that's the thing about Peach and Mario's relationship. There is some romance, depending on the game. But it's mostly like a friendship. Like a platonic friendship and such. There's no, like, means to an end. Or, like, marriage or something like that. I don't blame her getting turned off by marriage after every single time Bowser tries to kidnap her. So, <laughs> oh, yeah. I am honestly a bit relieved that A, she wasn't just the damsel in distress, and B, that, yeah, that the relationship that she has with Mario does feel more organic and built off of trust, and just her seeing Mario's perseverance, his tenacity, the fact that he gets back up after failing the training course, which is a great reference just in general to A, the experience of playing the game and failing at various levels, but also just from a design perspective, it kind of looks like those Super Mario Builder games, the Mario Maker games. So I thought that design looked cool. And then just like the rest of the movie there, the way she handles herself, her relationship with the Toads, and just her overall involvement in the narrative i thought was handled really well like that training course sequence if you've ever played a mainline mario game and did not hesitate to get past the spinning fire line thing you're lying to yourself i've done that (laughs) multiple i've done that multiple times where i'm like okay no wrong time no 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 and then you just zoom past it it's like yes and i mean and that's like a lot of what playing a Mario game was like back in the day when they had back in the day I sound older than I am was you failed you messed up and you just get back to the beginning of the level and try again maybe get like a power up along the way to help you 
it was a good way to implement the Mario mythos and game design into the story in a narrative sense. Mm-hmm. Like it, it was just really cool, and I recognized a lot of the levels when they were traveling to the Kong Kingdom. And like the upside down pyramids is a level from Super Mario Odyssey. The one with all the uh, jumping fish is a lot like a level in the early Super Mario Brothers game. And I'm sure it's also in like Super Mario World also. But I remember it's there are some levels in the first two games that are very much like that. But then when we get to the Kong Kingdom... This is where a few of my issues come up. Not major issues. First off, this movie uses 80s soundtrack tunes on top of the amazing composition of the Mario music. And those are by far the most distracting parts about the movie. It's not the fast pace for me. It's not the references and Easter eggs or whatever you want to say is distracting It's the fact that they took out composed music and replaced it with 80s music. And I like a lot of those songs. It's not the song choice that's the problem. It's the fact that they implement them in a very haphazard way. And when we could have just had more Mario music, because you have, again, 30 plus years of Mario music to choose from, you don't need to choose take on me again or the kill bill theme song at the beginning or thunderstruck when they're making their go-karts i did find it distracting at the end that they played mr blue sky with in a movie with chris pratt when they've already done that in guardians of the galaxy volume two you know like i love a good needle drop but there is a stigma involved if you use a very popular song and it makes you think of something else or when it's been used in other movies like when they played bonnie tyler's holding out for a hero it made me think of shrek 2 instead of you know the movie take on me i thought of the music video or even all and when it's used there yeah like some of the song choices were a little they're a little much that's the problem that i have with these needle drops it's like in a vacuum, these are all like really good songs, but every single one of them has been either just overused in general, or like you said, has like specific association. It's not a bad thing necessarily to have needle drops in a movie. I do concede with Cameron's point that you have Brian Tyler and like the original composer sort of creating their own great arrangements of these classic Mario themes, but then you are kind of pulled out for a second when Thunderstruck is played during during the uh, the Mario Kart creation sequence. And it's not like I didn't enjoy hearing Take On Me. It just felt so out of place because I was hoping for some of Grant Kirkhope or David Wise's Donkey Kong country music to be playing during that whole first sequence when they're getting to Cranky Kong. And it's not like it wasn't funny seeing the big bouncer Kong with the sport jacket and the go-karts and the shades and whatever. It was just, yeah, that whole song was out of place. 
even though I love that they took the banana item from Mario Kart and showed you why nobody likes the banana peel. <laughs> and then we get to Cranky Kong. And I like Fred Armisen. I just think he was the weakest casting in the movie, honestly. I think it's a mixture of Cranky needed to be a lot sassier than he was. And I guess I just didn't think of that voice for Cranky Kong. I thought of something maybe a little older and snappier instead of Maisley Grandfather. <laughs> what about Larry David? Maybe. I'd have to actually think about who I would cast instead of Fred Armisen. But then we get to Donkey Kong. Oh, yes. Let's Donkey talk about Kong. Donkey Kong. <laughs> Yeah, so Donkey Kong, as everyone knows, is voiced by Seth Rogen. And I know Seth Rogen kind of, in an interview, was just like, oh, I didn't do a, too much to hide my or normal voice. But to me, Seth Rogen's going to be Seth Rogen, no matter if he changes up his tone or what have you. When the laugh happens, it's like whatever immersion you had is broken because that's just a Seth Rogen laugh. To his credit, he did not do a lot of his Seth Roganisms with Donkey Kong, but I did like how they portrayed Donkey Kong because I think it made sense for him to be this cocky, showboaty punk. And I thought Seth Rogen captured that super well. The whole action sequence is great. I love the tiny mushroom sequence. Mm-hmm. and then when they get the cat suit and we all know about the, the clip that was online where he's like you got the cat suit everybody <laughs> now you die Donkey Kong I think was portrayed perfectly and I'm going to echo I think what Black Nerd Comedy said and like I think they were testing the waters a little of would you like to see a Donkey Kong Country movie and I would because I also played a lot of the Donkey Kong Country games and, like, they would make sense within the world of Mario, so you wouldn't have to do much <laughs> to change up the world and settings and whatnot. So, about that, I remember back in 2021, when this movie was initially being reported on, there were some rumors going around, around that a Donkey Kong spinoff was, like, already in development. And now, after seeing the film, I'm almost expecting, like, come monday or like maybe a month from now we get like an official confirmation of like donkey kong country to be released in i don't know june 2025 oh yeah i think based on box office how it's gonna do this weekend it's not just the beginning of getting this announcement i think we're gonna see a lot more spinoffs of super mario like in the works Oh, for sure. I mean, they showed King Boo in the wedding yeah. sequence. We're going to see oh, I was so excited when I we're saw going King to see, Boo. We're going to see a Luigi's Mansion movie sometime in the future. And that one, you can actually have a storyline, even though you kind of have to retread through Luigi's arc of being, stop being a coward. Mm-hmm. Donkey Kong is, I think the best way to describe him is He's kind of like the high school jock of our core cast. 
his introduction is beating up on Mario, just like completely annihilating him until he gets the cat suit and and then he has one of my favorite lines like i let you win it's like oh really why is that well it's because none of your business (laughs) and then just the back and forth between these two is priceless they come off like donkey kong is like the big burly older brother who just like takes every opportunity just make fun of mario from making fun of their making fun of him and peach like just having a pleasant conversation about his world to just everything after they fall off of Rainbow Road, which we'll get to that in a second. And all the references, like, oh my goodness. So yeah, there's a tiny mushroom, the cat suit. The level design is set up almost like a level from the original Donkey Kong. And that sequence, that little jingle you hear at the very end when Donkey Kong is defeated... They're like, da, 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 is the theme music to Donkey Kong. And this movie has a lot of references, but they keep it within the Mario franchise that I really love. There's no pop culture references. It results in a more timeless movie. It does. Like, Mario doesn't floss. They don't reference, like, YouTube or anything yeah. like that. I'm a big fan of that, even though, yeah, if they would have taken away the, like, the pop songs that they use, this would be completely, like, timeless and, yeah, not going to be, it's going to age well, not having, like, flossing or, yeah, or YouTube memes or anything. I mean, the, the only pop culture reference outside of the Mario and Nintendo references would be the line from Donkey Kong himself saying, like, it is on, like, Donkey Kong. But it also makes sense he would be that egocentric to make a tagline for himself. Exactly. Yeah. And when we get to the go- to the go-kart section, first of all, I love that they base the whole sequence on the, the menu sequence of when, like, in later Mario Karts, where you get to build and customize your own cart. Yep. And... Barring the whole Thunderstruck or whatever song that was playing in there. Another big laugh that we got. Well, everyone cheered when you when they saw the Princess Peach motorcycle and the yes. and iconic Mario Kart. And then everyone laughed when Toad got like the big old Hummer. Yeah. Like Jeep. And mm-hmm. of course, Toad is just larger than life. He should have a car like that. <laughs> In general, I think they handled the Mario Kart stuff very well. I mean, they had to. Mario Kart is like the top spinoff next to Super Smash Brothers in the Mario franchise. You had to have it in there. You had to have them find a way to get back to the Mushroom Kingdom faster. So I didn't see it as like anything like product placement or anything like that. Well, it's weird. There's no product placement in the traditional sense, but it is just like, you know, I want to play some Mario Kart. <laughs> One thing that I like about how Mario Kart is um, incorporated into the narrative is that it's all kind of based within the Kong nation. It's a good way to kind of center the like the universe. And of course, when like the whole Mad Max car chase style sequence happens, they do all the turtle shells, the banana peels, 
Oh, I thought that was so well done how they incorporated like that aspect of Mario Kart into that sequence. The, the, the action in this movie is very good. I think it's probably better than the Despicable Me 3 and Minions 2 action when you have a blue Koopa Troopa with spikes on its back. You gotta have a blue shell reference. And anyone who's played Mario Kart knows how dastardly and infamous the blue shell is. And it's just as destructive. I mean, and everyone knows, like, when you hear that call sign of a blue shell coming your way, you gotta strategize fast. And there are a lot of, like, really creative ways that this film gets around death. But, like, it's still, like, it's overall, like, a very family-friendly movie but there are moments like when bowser is telling his army what the plan is i <laughs> love that sequence where he's like and i'm going to ask her to marry me and we'll rule the world together and they're like yeah uh, uh, uh. and then you hear that one cooper go like yay and then you can hear eric bowser in the background saying like doesn't she hate you <laughs> and then that whole sequence of the scott minville koopa being like it's like, well, what if she doesn't take accept your marriage offer? Bowser just basically kills him, like, right then and there. But he turns into a dry bones. And I thought that was so smart. During the Rainbow Road sequence, when Mario and Donkey Kong get, like, separated from everyone and end up getting eaten by the eel from Mario 64. This is one moment that I liked that they built up about like how Donkey Kong and Mario have their own issue of their dad not thinking much of them. This is that part where I wish Luigi was there also just so he could feel a little more attached to the plot and of Mario's arc. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, this is a thing with Illumination that I have an issue with. They love to introduce story beats but then quickly finish them. And here, it's like, I like the idea that Donkey Kong does not like his dad, because that's kind of a thing in Donkey Kong country, that Cranky Kong is super sassy and sarcastic towards Donkey Kong. And it solves itself a little too quickly. I actually buy into it just being Donkey Kong and Mario, and I think it's because I am an older sibling, and... I think there is a unique pressure that comes from being the oldest child and, you know, that an expectation is set that, you know, you set the precedent for the rest of the family and Mario in particular feeling the weight of, is he dragging his brother down with him because of starting this business together? And Donkey Kong is an, an only child. So like he is looking for his dad's approval, but like is not getting it. So he's brushing him off. So I like that it is a moment shared just between the two of them. As much as I do want Luigi more in like having more interactions with Mario. And I'm not the biggest fan of, Seth Rogen in this role just because like it is clearly him he does his signature laugh it's not so hidden like Seth Rogen is just voicing Donkey Kong but I did like that moment and I like that 
for me, it worked that it was just the two of them because I do think it taps into something very specific as opposed to making it a little bit too general, I guess. No, that that makes sense. I kind of agree with Meredith that like it's fine that it's just the two of them. I guess I just wish that scene lasted a little bit longer. You know, they had a little bit more time to sort of let that moment breathe. Because pretty much soon after Donkey Kong rages out a bit, when he says, like, I am more than just the Smash guy. And then suddenly they come up with, like, an idea to escape from the creature. I just wish they slowed that scene down a bit. But conceptually, I was okay with it just being the two of them in that moment. Yeah, no, I get that. I agree with that. I Yeah, I think that's my issue. And it's, it's not just that Luigi's not there to tell Mario that he's not dragging him down or something like that. It's that this film goes at such a pace that it's hard to take in these moments. And yeah, I would have liked maybe a few seconds more of just them being quiet before they just suddenly become friends. It's like that when they get to the wedding sequence of the movie, when Donkey Kong saves his dad and such. It's just like the He's just like, I'm proud of you, son. Now, like, I bet you want to make those pecs dance. And he's like, not now, but definitely later. It just, it's so quick. And I get it. This movie probably wouldn't have worked if it was like two hours. I just wish it was like maybe a hundred minutes. Like, just add it, just a few more minutes for our scenes to last a little more. To let them be more impactful. Because they definitely, like, let some moments take up a lot of time, like, uh, Bowser playing the piano <laughs> and such. I love that sequence. And Bowser would do that. That's not out of character. Not that he has done that in the games, but he would. And I love that they play the underground theme song of Super Mario on the piano when Kamek arrives. You know, that da 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 da. Oh, yeah. The way they did that was perfect. And I'm not like too familiar with Kamek, like just as a character, but in this film, I think Kevin Michael Richardson gives him a great vocal performance. I am sure Nintendo is looking at Donkey Kong getting a power-up as something to do in a future game. Because that was very cool to see that whole sequence of them getting power-ups to go and like save everyone at the wedding. I love seeing King Babom at the wedding also. Yes. Yeah, Super Mario 64 boss. And I felt so bad for him. He His fuse gets lit without him doing anything about it. And he's like, oh, no, oh, no, no. <sighs> there are a lot of little animation jokes he, throughout the whole movie that are funny. Like when he sits down and he causes a Koopa Troopa to bounce back and forward on him. Then he just kind of stops him. Like, I would buy this movie just to slow everything down. Just so I could see all the little animation jokes that are shown throughout this whole movie. Before we get to the third act, there is something that we need to address. The chaotic energy that is Luma. In yes! The oh, yes. Lu- yeah. Let's talk about Lu- some of the side characters that we see through this. So we talked about the blue spiked Koopa. We talked about, like, some of the toads. 
But then there's a Luma from Super Mario Galaxy. The most little unhinged psychopath throughout the whole movie. I wish that final trailer didn't reveal him. I thought it would have been a pleasant surprise to watch it in the theater, but I get it. But that Luma is hilarious. I couldn't believe just how unhinged Luma was, especially as they're heading towards the lava and then they're saved and he's just so upset. That was, I, my theater laughed so much over that. I couldn't believe just how dark Luma got and it worked so well. Man, I... You know, seeing him in the trailer, I was like, okay, cool. I didn't think it would be beyond that, but I'm so glad we got more of that type of just dark attitude. It was just so well done. There is no joy. There's only joy in the release of death. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and everyone's like screaming their heads off and he's just like, finally, peace. Exactly. (laughs) I love that they bring him back at the end where he's just like, congratulations the movie's over and now it's like that was such a happy ending or was it because now you're just here alone with your thoughts staring into the void (laughs) just as he just zooms closer into the screen and then of course does a jazz version of the super mario theme and the directors may not have put in a lot of their Teen Titans Go dark comedy in a movie, but it's there. It's just kind of used more sparingly than what, what like, if you've seen Teen Titans Go to the movies and such, or the any episode of Teen Titans Go, you know that, like, that show can get so dark. Like, I think that's fine. Nintendo was probably saying, like, we're not going to allow a lot of this because like I said, they're like Disney. They're very protective of their property, and they want Mario and the gang to be portrayed as they wanted to. To And even if directors themselves said, we're not going to try to make Teen Titans go above a Mario paint job. We're going to make a movie that's super loyal to Super Mario. And I think that's fine. I don't want every that they make to be like Teen Titans Go!, I think that would have actually hurt Mario, unless they were like wanting to do a Paper Mario or Mario and Luigi or Super Mario RPG story where humor is a lot more expected and such. I like that Luma Lee is sort of like their calling card. Like they're not like a main focus, but they pepper it in for like a few little comedic moments to like relieve the tension in a sense. But just the fact that they were able to get away with that in a movie that's otherwise fairly family friendly is just very impressive. It's not like the movie isn't funny throughout the rest of the, the runtime. It's just they're very picky about what kind of physical gags and such that they do. I did feel bad for the little biked Koopa minions when Bowser was like, Koopas, Goombas. Whatever they are. <laughs> They're like, oh. <laughs> to be frank, I forgot what they were called too. So the animation itself, like, they are really loyal to a 
really impressive point of how all the characters are animated. Through a lot of the movie, you can see Mario and Luigi run like they would in the video games. Mm-hmm. And it's not just like the original Super Mario. There's Super Mario 3D World, Super Mario Galaxy, Super Mario Odyssey, that whole thing where they hold their arms out when they're running with the superstar at the end is very on point with the character. It's kind of scary that, that like there are so many details that even the animation has the same amount of care and commitment to the Mario universe. And like, it's just, this movie does a lot. And I know that's kind of like what's been a lot of takeaways from the movie. Like, should we talk about the chaotic discussion and discourse around this movie? Or should we round up the third act and such? I don't want to spend too much time on it, but it is at least important to, like, address how, frankly, on both ends of the discussion, it is kind of insane how this movie is basically starting, like, digital riots across social media. It's never like the movies that should start discussions or chaos. It's always the ones that are, you would think, would be the least chaotic or controversial. But the Mario movie, just golly, people, gamers, and fans of the movie, if a critic didn't like the movie, that's perfectly fine. Most people still like the movie. The Rotten's Tomato score shows that overall, 53 or 56% of all critics actually like the movie. So don't harass them if they didn't like the movie or wanted more from the movie. I get it. I've said I wanted there to be at least a little more time put into the more dramatic moments. Even though the third act does a really good job of rounding it all up with Luigi saving Mario and the incredible fight sequence when they get the superstar mm-hmm. and such. And critics, it's okay that not every animated film is Pixar. Some of the reactions to this movie, it's just like, this is the death of cinema as we know it. And it's like, be quiet. <laughs> yeah. Like, I can say from someone who sometimes writes reviews and is sometimes seen as a critic. I think we want animated movies to speak to every audience as much as possible. And sometimes like animation is not, it's a medium. It's not a genre. Not all animated movies are going to be Studio Ghibli level. Not all animated movies are going to be into the Spider-Verse or even the Lego movie sometimes animated movies are what they are and it's going to work for some people. It's not going to work for other people. We're all going to have our own criteria and expectations of what we want to see, particularly in a Super Mario movie where there is so much attachment. There is such a fan base for character, this property. I get it, but you know, sometimes the movie works for you and sometimes it doesn't. And Art is subjective and we are going to enjoy what we enjoy. And I don't make it a point to rag on other people who don't share my opinion or 
even with the Rotten Tomatoes scores as the audience scores going so high up compared to the critic scores, like I kind of knew that was going to happen based on like watching the movie. I was like, yeah, this feels like a very crowd pleasing movie. And it's not, I don't think we're expecting it to win best animated feature this upcoming year at the Oscars. It can still be somebody's favorite animated movie this year. And that's perfectly fine. You know, I will get off of my soapbox, but I feel that. Well, it's like critics acting like this is like, a soulless film that's not true the film has a lot going for it it's just not to the extent that like a pixar film where it even pixar aren't hitting it out of the park yeah i was about to say pixar has been kind of hit or miss recently and even disney animated movies have been also off as well you know, I enjoyed Turning Red. I think Puss in Boots, The Last Witch was a much better movie. And of course, Guillermo del Toro was going to win the Oscar. Like I also stop motion animation is fantastic. And we should always champion it whenever it comes around. But yeah, there is so much heart in this movie to be found. But not every animated movie needs to be this like existential crisis or a commentary on society you know there are other movies to supply that not every animated movie has to fit that standard like del toro said animation is film it's a medium of Mm -hmm. storytelling and that means you're going to have different animated films or different audiences some of the kids at my screening and i'm sure they'll love spider-verse but they were kind of freaked out by spider-verse and the slightly darker, edgier tone of Mutant Mayhem. So they're not going to be ready for that yet. They're going to want something like a Mario movie or a Minions movie to be a gateway for them to get to those movies. And it's also like, what did a lot of you want from a Mario movie story-wise? Did y'all want a Pixar movie? Because that wouldn't have been a Mario movie. Yeah, so it's weird, like the, like I said, I agree with some of the criticisms, but the others, it's like they went in and graded the film with what they wanted it to be versus what the was doing. It was going to be a simple, straightforward movie. That's all it needed to do. It just needed to be better than the 90s movie. Which that is the bar to clear. I do think that there is, we do live in a time where we've had animated movies with certain properties that have been a bit more a meta commentary and have, has had more to say. I think of the Lego movie in particular, that is like razor sharp with its comedy and meta commentary there that still is entertaining for a lot of people. But, you know, not every movie is the Lego movie, nor should it be, you know. The movie-going experience should be a buffet, you know. It's not supposed to be just one type of meal, you know. We get our fine dining here, but we also get, like, that comfort food on the side. And we get a good slice of pizza, you know. You know what you're going to get, and it tastes great, you know. And that's kind of how I feel about Super Mario Brothers. It's like a good piece of pizza, You know, you know what you're getting. It tastes good. And 
that's all you can ask for. One last thing I want to add to this discussion is we talked about the trailers that we got before the movie and at least for my screening, seeing that like wide variety of movies from like the various studios is kind of proof that right now we are in probably the like the healthiest landscape for animated movies. So I personally am not a fan of rating every single movie on like an absolute scale. I prefer to grade things according to their own standards and for this movie in particular i think the super mario brothers movie met exactly the criteria it was going for by being faithful to the source material providing lots of fan service from creators who have like a genuine passion for these characters the world they inhabit all of that and at the same time i don't think that audiences who disagree with the critics should like throw a hissy fit just because they do not share an opinion. There are more level-headed ways to approach this discussion. And it makes me sad that in the year 2023, some people still have not figured this out. And hopefully this is the last time that we get this like huge overblown culture war over a movie that is intended for children i hate to break it to you but you know this isn't the last time we're gonna get this <laughs> so I... uh, we'll have this discussion again in june and july in may it, pretty much every month yeah like it's not that i want to be optimistic at, but i've I've been around the internet for a hot minute. I've was reminded today of the last Jedi discourse. Like oh it's never go- exactly. It's never going to go away. It's going to change into something else for a particular franchise that becomes beloved. Something's going to go wrong or like they're going to adapt it a different way and people are going to feel it some type of way or they're going to have such high expectations for something. And then it's just going to crash and burn. Like I I'm very hopeful for Dune Part 2. They could do something to like completely change and be like, that's not how this goes. Or like, they could have done this so much better, but I trust Denis Villeneuve. I think it's going to be fine. But, you know, it's stuff like that. Like, we're going to see another discourse, but it shouldn't be over Super Mario Brothers, but here we are. Yeah, well said. The movie set out to do what it needed to, and... It passed with flying colors. Do I wish it did better in some ways because of how Illumination do their movies? Yes. Could have taken a little more time or been a little longer to pace everything out more? Sure. But I had fun. It was a fun movie to sit through. It probably won't be in my top 10 by the end of the year, but I put the pre-order down for the Blu-ray. I'm going to get it. I'm going to rewatch it every time I need a movie to watch to chill to. And the fact of the matter is, a lot of animation people who love to say, oh, people should just be watching the more higher art stuff aren't going to do it. Okay, so by the time this podcast comes out, Makoto Shinkai's Suzume is going to be out in theaters. Support that. Tell people about that movie. Mm-hmm. But, but a lot of them are not going to do that because they... It's like they just want to complain. And 
that makes movie watching a lot less fun because yes i get it we demand kids entertainment be just as worth investing into as entertainment for teens and adults but that's what happened here it kids are loving this parents are loving this audiences are loving this movie and not to say i disagree with all the critics i think some of them are right on and some of them are a little harsh mm-hmm. but it's just been exhausting i hate that this discourse has to happen but a kid is not going to sit down and watch unicorn wars and i know that sounds like a really child-friendly title but do not take your kid <laughs> to see that movie <laughs> Do not watch the trailer and you will see why. Yeah, honestly, this discussion has made me, I want to go see it again. I've only seen it the one time. And I do think, Cameron, you made a really good point at the beginning that it is amazing that this is the first major studio animated movie to come out this year and that it's taken until April to do that. And I think the box office speaks to like the appetite and need for wanting a a kid family-friendly movie you know right around this time of spring break and easter weekend to uh, to bring people to the theater and i think it is showing in the box office that like like sometimes you know we want the high art but then other times we just want to have a good time with an animated movie that like parents are going to enjoy sitting through for 90 minutes which is I think a big plus for this movie yes I think story beats go by really fast but like this is a movie aimed for kids and the movie knows it and to get a family in and out in 90 minutes is a positive thing and that the fact that it mostly works like I don't think everything works but for the most part like to do that in 90 minutes is a miracle and the fact that they did that is a big win for illumination i'm excited to rewatch this movie and to whether i go back to the theater to see it or i get to you know get the blu-ray or whatever i think there's a lot of fun to be had with that and i think that's fine before we move on to the third act i want to just point this out if the estimates are correct this movie will not only be the the biggest opening weekend for an animated feature It'll be the biggest Easter weekend opening of all time. That yeah. doesn't surprise me. No, it's like right now there's good entertainment for families. Like if your kids are down for something a little edgier than the Mario movie, they could just go see the Dungeons and Dragons movie. And if they want something more family friendly, they can just go to the Mario movie. And obviously right now people are going to see both and especially the Mario movie. And it shows like there's a demand and a need for family entertainment and animation in general, which Hollywood is in a weird spot right now because as healthy as it can be, it's also not because of how many like canceled projects there are. (laughs) So, Oh man. Yeah, no, 2022 was a nightmare in that regards. But yeah, so it's like maybe next year they will not make everyone wait so long (laughs) for animation and such. Yeah, I think this year is an overabundance year. Like we're getting so much good stuff and especially across animation. Like there's just a lot to be had here that it's going to make the 
animated race in the Oscars next year really interesting because we're getting a new Pixar movie that by all accounts looks really good you were getting a new studio Ghibli movie we're getting the Into the Spider-Verse sequel like there's a lot to be had in animation right now that it almost feels too much so I hope we get to a place where there's a little bit more equilibrium but this is I think a healthy place to be coming out of what was really difficult in the movie or in Hollywood for the pandemic? I want to talk about the third act because something really cool happens after the bomb bill goes through the warp portal. Everyone is back in Brooklyn. And then we get the final showdown between Mario and Bowser. And then they do the thing. And that is Mario and Luigi get the, uh, the superstar. And they play the superstar theme. So good. And, and it is amazing. Like I said, the action is really good in this movie. And that whole sequence shows that Illumination can do action if they ever wanted to with their new uh, division of making stuff for teens and adults or just for families in general. And they find a nice way to tie in the the ad that they made for the Mario Brothers plumbing by also having well that whole thing was delightful even if it was mostly fan service with the whole Super Mario Brothers Super Show theme playing in the background and I think they got the original voice actors for Peach to play the woman in the commercial where she's like thank you Super Mario Brothers the only thing you're not draining is my bank account and that whole facial reaction like what is that supposed to mean (laughs) and Oh, and Luigi's phone uh, ringtone notification is the GameCube startup sound. Oh, that's a cool detail. Yeah. Yeah, and just like how it's the brothers are going to do it. The brothers will save the day. They are there to save Brooklyn. It's just a cool sequence. And and a little anime inspired when Bowser tries to kick Mario and Luigi when they get the superstar at the beginning. And you see like the impact, the impact from the kick kind of like cause the ground to shake behind them, but the brothers don't move. That's a very anime influence right there. Yeah. And... That, it, it reminds me of that scene in like the Frieza saga of Dragon Ball Z, where after Goku turns Super Saiyan, Frieza tries to punch him. Nothing happens. Taking a level in badass for the characters. They handled that so well. They did. They absolutely did. And I like that the ending like sets up that like okay so the brothers are now in the mushroom kingdom but they are they can go to and from brooklyn if they wanted to and that bowser got hit with the tiny mushroom and yes so great that, that little sequence one of the post credit sequences of him just being like doing the song sequence again and then toad is like like ah no no singing <laughs> quiet and like, what did y'all think about the post credit scenes? I like the Bowser one. I'm a little more mixed the Yoshi one. Because we already saw Yoshis in the movie for even if it's a split second. Yeah. I, I think the only reason they put it as a post credit scene is, and I don't remember correctly, but I don't think they had the green Yoshi in that background shot. I think they just had the blues, the reds, the pinks, the yellows. 
like the other Yoshi colors. But this is the only green Yoshi that they showed off at the very end. That's the only reason why I think A, they had that scene at all. And B, I have a pretty good idea of what a traditional sequel is going to be story-wise. Well, if they do a sequel, they're going to have to have the Koopa kids in there because if it's going to follow up like Super Mario World or something like that. And, or they might do Galaxy, but I, I, who knows? They, like I said, they have 30 years of games to pull from. They can, like, even do something like Super Mario Sunshine if they wanted. I'd get a huge kick out of that. But yeah, I think there's a lot of setup to a sequel especially like they dropped the beats about princess peach not knowing where she came from you have yoshi they have so much to play with and now especially like you said that like mario and luigi are in the mushroom kingdom and they can go back and forth i think there's a lot of room to kind of show like tension in that of like how do we still be like connected to our family and lives in Brooklyn, but we're like making a life for ourselves here in the Mushroom Kingdom. And yeah, I think this movie is totally getting a sequel. I don't see how we don't get a sequel to this. There's a lot of story beats that they can get to. By the way, has anyone, the music video for Peaches with Jack Black, like in live action, just playing the piano and singing the song? No, no, but I'm either. going to as soon as we're done with this. It is amazing. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. Uh, that sounds delightful. It's Jack Black. He's the only one who can make all of this work. <laughs> but that's all I have to really say. I think it was a very fun discussion to talk about everything about the movie and then the discourse around said movie. Even if it is ridiculous that this movie has a discourse. <laughs> It is, but it won't be the first, certainly won't be the last, but I am also just glad that we got to talk about this movie at length, and I'm glad that this movie exists at all, and that audiences are connecting with it, the people at Nintendo seem to be enthusiastic about it. I am just overall in a very celebratory mood because of this movie. I think it's a win for fans of Mario and, you know, this franchise. I think it's a it's a win for kids seeing an animated movie. I think it's a win for parents being at an animated movie. And just for average audience members who don't have as much connection with Mario, I think they did well with what they were given. And it could have gone so wrong and Part of me was kind of waiting for it to, and it never happened. I was kind of worried this was going to be a Sonic situation where it was going to be extremely pop culture driven and not be very loyal at all to the property, but they chose timeless and loyalty to the source material over super mass marketed pandering and it works. Like, it shows that you can be loyal without having to cater to... This was a very fun episode. I'm glad we got to do this. Before we head out of here, first of all, Meredith, thank you for joining us. Where can people find you online? Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was such a fun discussion. You can find me on 
Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Meredith Loftus. And Cameron, where can everyone find you? You can find me on Twitter at Cam's Eye View and Hive. I also have a letterbox that is... Like, I I'm also on Hive, by the way. Same stuff, yeah. too. Just look for Cameron Ward on Letterbox. Like, look for Cam's Eye View is. If you see just animated films on there, then that's mine. I have a live action account also. But uh, like just for live action films and such. But I also have a Patreon at patreon.com slash Cam's Eye View. I also have a website called camsiview.biz where I review animated films and shows from around the world called The Other Side of Animation. That's where you can find me. And you guys can find me on Twitter at CaptainK42. You can check out my quick thoughts on letterbox.com slash CoachK42. And you can follow Renegade Pop Culture on Facebook and Twitter at RenPopCulture. You can also find us on YouTube on Podchaser. Subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash RenegadePopCulture. Listen to all of our podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all of the places. And last but not least, everything can be found at renegadepopculture.com. Need an escape? So do we. That'll do it for this episode of Renegade Animation. We will catch you guys later. Peace out.